0: Hey y'all, we are here. It is, are you there God? It's Kira and Phil and I am Kira Austin Young, priest in charge of St. Anne's in Nashville.
1: And I'm Philip Duvall, director of Church of the Redeemer in Cincinnati, Ohio. I gotta tell you, Kira, that was like, we were like, that was like, it was like our first time. That's what that felt like.
0: I know. You even, know
1: wearing, you even didn't sound sure of your name. I... <laughs> like if you were taking a lie detector test, they'd be like, maybe her name isn't Kira.
0: You know, it has been that it's been I mean, I wouldn't even say it's been one of those days. It's just been one of those like stretches of time.
1: Yeah, epochs where
0: where I'm like, do I know what I'm doing? Maybe, yeah, maybe not. But here's why I got a little unsure because I want to try something new today. And I as we as as we've been trying to like I don't know, develop a little bit more of a, of a rhythm, of um, a way of kind of closing and, and moving in between segments, opening and closing oh. and moving in between segments. I thought, you know, shocker coming from two priests, um, we might open with prayer.
1: You know, I try to leave work at work. <laughs> I love that idea. I think that's great. Let's do it. That I means you have, a, I assume you have a prayer.
0: I do. Yeah. I'm just going to use the collect for this week. Go for it. All right. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Let us pray. Grant to us, Lord, we pray, the Spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we who cannot exist without you may by you be enabled to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.
1: Amen. All right. So then do we talk about the collect?
0: you know i was really thinking about that line it has hit me the past few days um that we who cannot exist without you right like that's um
1: that's that's just good theology right there
0: yeah that kind of like i don't know hearing it that bluntly i think sort of felt like it hit me between the eyes on on sunday as we were kind of praying it together um and i I, you know just given kind of the the news of the last days and weeks um to pray for the spirit to think and do always those things that are right i think is a pretty pretty legit thing to pray for um that's
1: funny because i think episcopalians don't like that language at all (laughs) i think no i think episcopalians like uh well right according to who and uh you know i mean it just depends on i don't know i i thought we believed in grace so that means god doesn't care what we do and we can do whatever we want and that doesn't matter because god's love is unconditional so don't tell me what to do it's really a dude it's really american christianity
0: yeah yeah and and especially from a tradition that we kind of like to distance ourselves from Mm -hmm. american christianity as we perceive Mm -hmm. it as being kind Mm -hmm. of evangelical or conservative or whatever um yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, to think and do always are, whatever it says, those things that are right, to, uh, the spirit to think and do always those things that are right. Yeah. Um, I think, to me, the important part to emphasize for for those coming to the, our, our tradition with that sort of anti-authoritarian, like, don't tell me what to mm-hmm. do, um, which I have in my heart too sometimes, is that, like, that's coming from God. So it's not what you or I or somebody down the road says is right. Right. It's what God is guiding us into through God's grace.
1: Yes. As mediated by the one true church. Oh, wait, that's not what you said. (laughs) So that's the concern that people have. I think sometimes is that we are nervous about who gets to decide what God is actually telling us to do.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: Right. Like that's a, that's one of the concerns. But yeah, I mean, I, listen, I love this prayer. I think it's great. Let's go back to this, like, because here's the deal. Like without whom, uh, what is it? Like we can't exist. We
0: cannot without, who cannot exist without you. We who cannot exist without you. We who cannot exist
1: without you. So right there, when I was, what was the first thing I said? That's good theology, right? Mm -hmm. Like we tend to think that, and we can't help it. It is, it is, it is. When you go back to Genesis chapter three, and there is this idea in humanity that somehow we are on our own and that we need to fend for ourselves because God is not looking out for us, the one who made us. And there is um, in the history of our culture, there is a, there is um, like deism and other sorts of um, uh, sort of pseudo-Christian theologies and philosophies that have sort of branched off in Western thinking that create this dynamic of, of god the you know the as they say the watchmaker or the watchmaker
0: yeah i love that sets up
1: the sets up the machine and then walks away
0: let no it investment. go right let's it run
1: or, or or of the god i always like to think of the god in the clouds and monty python and the holy grail who comes down and they're like what are you doing we're groveling we'll stop it you know <laughs> all those psalm, miserable psalms are so depressing like but he's you know he's got the crown and he's like ah god Like this idea that we have is that we are us and God is God and never the twain shall meet until God decides, which is usually when you die. And then God's only, then you just, you show up to something where God looks at you and basically decides if you're on the guest list or not.
0: Right. Like like you show up in front of like a judge and the verdict gets passed down.
1: Right. So it's always this idea. And by the way, I don't think I'm God and I don't think you are God and I'm not a Neither a pantheist or any of that, or panentheist, even I don't think. I don't, I, I mean, I guess I believe God's presence is in all creation, but I don't believe a rock is God. I don't believe that I am God or any of that stuff. God is God and I am not. And at the same time, I only exist by the power and the will of God. Mm-hmm. God wills us into being. And then God keeps us breathing and God keeps this world moving. And and so I think it's a really good sort of like uh framework for anything we ask it's a reminder for ourselves right Mm -hmm. so go it reminds me it's like for me it's a much healthier version of the prayer of humble access Mm. right because we've talked about my issues with the prayer of humble access so where we say oh god i am not worthy to gather the crumbs (laughs) under your table oh no god i can't do it I'm not worthy. And God's like, come eat communion with me now. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could possibly do it. I'm just such a piece of crap. But thou art the same God whose property is always to have mercy. Uh, he's like, I know I am. Just come in and have communion already. But like, I like this one where it's just sort of like, hey, here's something. Like, I can't exist without you. So I'm probably going to need your help for, to figure out how I'm going to live the next part of my life. Mm-hmm. right? Like, how am I going to go into this week? Maybe I partner with the one who keeps me going like and show any deference to the one who keeps me alive. And maybe they might have some idea and some guidance for me. Just a thought.
0: Just a thought. Yeah. I mean, right. I think um, I, I've i been a little bit consumed with the, the climate news that came out yesterday. And yeah.
1: Why? Just so... because it's horrifying?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um And the, the question that kind of came to me on my dog walk this morning was, um, you know, how do we follow Jesus at the end of the world? Yeah. And I, you know, to some extent, we have all always been following Jesus at the end of the world, because, yeah. you know, we're not guaranteed any other day Christians have always been kind of an apocalyptic people. Should um, be. Yeah you know, anticipating and expecting the, the end of the world, such as it is the return of Jesus Christ, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a lot of times, you know, again, we in mainline churches kind of shy away from that the way, because of the way it's gotten appropriated into like, um, the rapture and, right. uh, all, all of that <laughs> right. fun stuff. Right. But to, to ask God For the spirit to think and do what is right, not like you know again, we often think of right as like, these are the things, these are the principles. God, God help help me, God help me
1: not to help me not to cuss and make sure that help me with my with my juice cleanse.
0: Right. And and this is more like what is right in this moment for this time. Um, for us, you know, depending on our circumstances, what is right for me may not be right for you. It may not be what is right for me may not be right for somebody who is in a much less privileged situation than I am. Um, and so to ask God and to think and to pray and discern what is right for us now as Christians or for me as a Christian in this moment, Um, I, I find a very helpful posture, I guess, and kind of not falling prey to despair and nihilism, which I definitely have a
1: tendency to. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd be an atheist. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like a Jew or a Muslim or anything else. I'd just be like, (laughs) it's this "This or I'm like,
0: nah,
1: yes, yes. (laughs) I used to think that I would be Jewish if I wasn't Christian because I really love Judaism, but it turns out the things I really love about Judaism are very like, it's a very Christian perspective on Judaism that I love. Uh, It turns out that if I weren't Christian, I'd be like, I'm out. This is all BS. I believe nothing. At least in terms of the supernatural, you know? Right. Um, But, but yeah, I, uh, I'm with you. And the thing I'm thinking about is there's a language here um, in terms of right Right is um, usually connected to righteousness, and righteousness is about like in right relationship, like connected to the things I'm supposed to be in a way that is a, like that, like brings about health and wellness. Like not to use that's too like Oprah language. I'm sorry.
0: Now,
1: and I know, I, no offense, Oprah. I know you watch Spiritual this. Spiritual
0: soul um, Sunday. Or I, know whatever. Oprah, <laughs> I
1: know Oprah watches this, and Oprah. I, I want to be honest. You've done phenomenal work, and people shouldn't make fun of you for that. But I think uh, so. Keep going, buddy. But I think, uh, but I, I guess what I want to say is like, like the word for perfect in New Testament, the word that we use telos for perfect, um, people you hear perfect and they think of flawless. But the way that perfect is used over and over and over again in scriptures is really about like ripe, ripeness and readiness, readiness for like to its natural log- logical end. So like, I like to describe it this way. Like a perfect banana is not a banana with zero bruises. Although you don't want too many. A perfect banana is one that's ready to eat it's mm, mm-hmm. it's it's at the point for harvesting so to speak and to like un, un to peel it back and eat the banana that is a perfect banana it's it that's that's a different thing than than the thing that has zero blemish or 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 zero sort of uh, fault to it um right and so it's I, the so,
0: perfect like size well is so... right
1: like right like that's the platonic stuff that's not that's not who jesus is right i mean platonism is interesting neoplatonism is interesting it's all fascinating it should be engaged It's had an influence on our church. I respect that. And also telos, perfection, uh, is also the same word that's used for end like teleology, like what are end times, like you're talking about. So what is, so getting into the mindset that however, this thing ends, it ends on God's terms, first of all, but then in our own lives, like understanding that what is right is connected to what is, what makes us more whole and complete in, in our relationship with God and with one another. Like there's, Yes, that's different for you than it is for me. It's different for a person of privilege than it is for a marginalized person. But for all of us, the the idea is the same, which is what brings wholeness and completion to each of us. Leslie's got a pair of quotes for us. Every rock and tree and creature has a life, has a spirit, has a name, says Pocahontas. Well, says Disney Pocahontas, just (laughs) to be clear, just to be super clear. That's Disney-hontas to you. Um, and then the Bo Burnham, I assume this is from his new show that I haven't seen a world in darkness needs your light so I'm sure your schedule's pretty tight, but my dog just had surgery if you could fix that first. That's pretty fair. That's pretty fair. Um, and that taps right into that sort of like. The balance of the cosmic concerns we have, and the uh, there you are walking your dog and you're yeah. like, and you're like, um, I hope. I hope that the world uh, that I don't burn to death, just living in Nashville, but I also hope that I brought doggy bags to pick up the poop,
0: right? Like it's like- Right, like I think that's that's the other thing I've been thinking about. Like there is so much, um, yeah, sort of like macro perspective that is very concerning. And yet when I also think about not only my own issues about like things that are going on in my family or um are we going to be able to travel to see my husband's parents and like those kinds of things there's also you know I mean that's I feel like I feel that weight from my congregation as well of you know individuals who are who are very sick and very ill or have, you know, loved ones who are sick and ill or who are job searching or who, you know, wonder how they're going to pay their mortgage next month or are worrying about eviction. Like all of those things, it's, um, it feels very heavy to carry.
1: It does. Um,
0: And to weigh, to weigh, um, to weigh those concerns.
1: But that's why you got to like, so what do you do? You pray. Yes. What else?
0: Um. (laughs) I I mean, I I mean I I make really terrible jokes. You make really terrible jokes. Yeah. Yeah, That's how I get through awful
1: things. I'm I get through awful things by making awful jokes.
0: Yeah. 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 I've been kind of like so I've I've been trying to formulate sort of an ethic like for my congregation as we do this stuff together as a people, um, that profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. Um, and I think that means we really, really need to commit to loving each other well
1: in yes. a way
0: that maybe we haven't before. And I mean, more than like, more than like bringing someone a meal when someone dies, like this may yeah. mean moving someone into your basement or yeah. your guest room for right. a time or, yeah taking their kids after school so that they can go on a job interview or, um, like those kind of really not just like, yeah, we go to church together. We go out to lunch after church, but like to really build that thick fabric of community.
1: I think that makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, um, uh, I think so for me, and you've heard me say it before, uh, or write it before, I mean, I start with, like, what this colic does is the reframing. And so what's my framework? A uh, framework for recognizing God's presence. Uh, I ask the question, where did I see love? Where do I see love? Because I'm adamantly uh, convicted that where I see love, I see God's presence. And mm-hmm. I wanna train myself and train my congregation to To be able to see God's presence in our midst, because we need to shift away from thinking. Going back to the thing I said at the very beginning, we need to shift away from thinking that God is up there watching this all happen and unfold, and shift towards recognizing that God is present and active in the world today. And if you, yeah. and the more you're able to see God, the more you're able to give your trust to God. It's It's not that different from. I mean, it. I. I. This. Now I'm going back to my my sort of fundamentalist roots. so They're being like, um. You know, like, oh, it's just like God's a friend of yours. You know, like. If you don't like, you know, if you don't pray very often, like, you know, they're not going to recognize your voice, you know, like if you, if you only call your friend once a year, you know, but I mean, I, 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 but, I but I would, I would say more not about um, God trusting me, but I would say about me trusting God. Yeah, um, yeah. If my kid doesn't ever see me around, I, like, I remember one of my family members who hadn't seen one of my kids for several years and hadn't reached out and hadn't done anything to try to be present in this kid's life, <laughs> like when he, when they met. He was like trying to get my kid to like, like, you know, give me a hug or like whatever. Like, uh, you know, uh, I'm your, I'm in your family. Mm-hmm. And my kid at the time was like, I don't know, five, four. And he was just like, he wasn't mad. He wasn't indignant. He was just like, I don't know you.
0: I don't know who you are. Yeah, I can't,
1: I'm not, I don't hug strangers. Stranger right?
0: danger, man. <laughs>
1: and this person was like, oh, you know, like to me, like, well, we're family. And I'm like, he didn't know that. Like. Right call well, up, at some point you know? that's like, more about him, him than it them. is about right. your like, kids like so that's my right right but but my kid my kid's skepticism and my kid's sort of like there's no trust there there's no relationship there like it's not there right mm-hmm. so we live in a world where God is present in the world but but God definitely works in elusive ways oftentimes but we also have the capacity if we ask God for the eyes to see we can see God's presence in the world and we can pray for God's presence to be more revealed to us but then we look for love. We see where that love is. We invest in those spaces. We commit ourselves to that kind of love. And all of a sudden we are seeing God more and more readily present and active in the world. And the more readily and presently present and active in the world that we see God, then the more willing we are to pray even more and to trust even more and to like shift our mindset and like say, you know what? I think I'm all in on this. I think I'm, I think I'm going for it. I think I'm I'm going to, I think I'm going to actually do the radical things. I think I'm actually not interested in moderation. I think I'm actually not interested in being um, just like, you know, I want to be like a Christian in a way that like, you know, like, like like Martin Luther King talking about, uh, we're extremists. We're extremists for love. That's what we are. Like, yeah. but I, mean, I think he goes to that place because of a deep abiding faith that is born out in his, in his like ongoing cultivation of a relationship with God through scriptures and prayer and meditation and his community and the work that he does in the world but always finding God in it right so like where is God in all of this is tricky because we don't want to admit that God might have something to do with climate change that it makes us very uncomfortable
0: right Right. so or a a pandemic that's killed you know right people right how do we
1: talk about God's presence and that is something that can be really dangerous if we're not careful yeah so chris tumulty our friend from san diego says over here uh he saw a meme stop inviting people to church and start inviting people into life he said i don't often take life advice from the memes but it has a point um yeah i don't ever want people to stop inviting people to church chris but (laughs) just for the record um both on and off the record i'll say that but i get like my problem is that we think of church as a place you go and not a life that you live that's my right or
0: it's just like another thing to do like another thing on my list of taking the kids to soccer practice and our yoga um yeah and like okay we gotta go to church before we go to brunch or whatever um which is fun and fine and like i i don't i certainly don't want to judge people, for for whatever reason, they come to church because God works in all kinds of ways. And um, I know a former parishioner of mine told me a story about like some some people that she knew who she kind of judged they were just going to this fancy church to kind of meet people and, you know, make those connections and stuff. And like God worked through that and they ended up changing, you know, their lives and really becoming dedicated um, to, to serving God in, in that place. So I would hope that would be right.
1: We never know why people are coming and it's not our place to say, but, but we know the purpose of church, which is to transform lives in Jesus name.
0: Yeah. And that, I mean, certainly we would hope that our churches do that. And sometimes they certainly, they really don't. Sure. (laughs) Um, but the
1: the church community
0: is meant to be a locus
1: of transformation.
0: I think that's one of the challenges to kind of communicate both to churches and, you know, as leaders of churches and to people who do not come to church or who are kind of outside the church or unchurched um, is, is that like, yeah, it's not just like a box to check or a place you go to like, hang out with other people and with God, but that right. it is, it should be, is and should be a an invitation into a, yeah, a transformation.
1: Yes, Leslie, I I, Leslie asks, isn't that part of what church is for making connections and creating community? Oh, yes, unquestionably. Uh, That is what it is for. It is a community. Church is a community. So, of course, our goal is to create community because that is what a church is meant to be a community. I think it's important for us to recognize the purpose, the purpose of that community and the power of that community. Um, What is what is it? What is it? um, You know, what is it? uh, What purpose does that community serve its existence? Here's my big question. And uh, it in, go, you know, goes into kind of what Chris is dabbling with here in, in his chatting on the side is, um, like, and it's not, oh, and by the way, I'm not, someone else came up with this question. So I'm parroting this. So this isn't a philism, but, but like, it's really simple. If your church shut down tomorrow, who would be affected and how? Yeah. Like how? And I think that there are ways. So uh, some people hear that and they think that I'm saying that your church sucks. Um, I'm not. I'm, it's it's a genuine question for reflection for us to figure out where our church. What are the priorities of our church, and 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 um, are they good priorities? And yeah. are they are they in accordance with God's will? Right. Um, you know why the Catechism says the church exists, right?
0: Um, you know, I don't know if it's off the top, if what it says off the top of my head. Let me, i got my BCP. <laughs>
1: I should have it off the top of my head. I, what? since I'm the one who brought it up. Um, I
0: know. I mean, it's so, um, all of the answers in the catechism are fairly pithy And, um,
1: so if you look at the top of page 855, what is the mission of the church?
0: Mm, so that's yeah. to
1: me, the mission of the church is the purpose for the church's existence. The mission of the church is to restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. That's about unification. That's about uh, unity of, of purpose. But that's also about like, like healed, healed and uh, reconciled and just relationship with God and with each other, right? And then how does the church pursue its mission? The church pursues its mission as it prays and worships, proclaims the gospel and promotes justice, peace and love. I'm like, I know, I know. You logged onto YouTube to watch two priests thumbing through the BCP. However, the catechism, <laughs> like, like we don't, you don't hear people talk about the catechism enough. Like, like I put it down and now it's just me talking the mission of the church is to restore people in their relationships with God and each other. Okay. And then we carry that out through worship, through prayer and through pursuing justice, peace, and love to which I say, hell yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, I don't know that's... why any church needs their own mission statement. Well, I
1: know. <laughs> It, 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 it's right here. It's I always so find it fair. funny when people are like, uh, you know, I'm I'm done reading the Bible. I'm gonna go read some other religious texts. And hey, by all means, out of curiosity, read other religious texts. But as a Christian, when someone's like, I've oh, I've done I'm done reading the Bible, I'm like, oh, exhausted, it's uses. have you? <laughs> like you're you're yeah, it's passe. I don't know, the Bible, et cetera. Um, but anyways, um, and I feel that way about our prayer book for sure. I definitely feel that way about our catechism, which I think is just under like utilized, underutilized.
0: I do think it would be interesting as I, you know, I'm in conversation with a lot of clergy generally kind of around the church and we're all kind of going through this thing right now where it's been difficult for us to um, re-engage at the level that we had been before the pandemic because people have drifted away, people have moved, people are uncomfortable, people are kind of evaluating how much they want to commit to at this point. in their their lives and um so it's kind of triggered this like ministry evaluation (laughs) of like what do we need to do what you know to to live out this mission and what were we doing in the past yeah that maybe was fun and we enjoyed it and um we like doing the rummage sale or the craft fair or the whatever right Right. but if we don't do that thing is it is it gonna shut down the church and can we focus our ministries that we do have the energy and people for into ministries that meet this kind of framework
1: yep yep How do we, how do we make sure that anything that is part of the church is building towards that common goal? Yeah. That sense of purpose.
0: Yeah. I mean, if it's a question of like, do we have the rummage sale or do we have an overnight shelter during the winter for people who otherwise would be sleeping outside? Right. I feel, you know, certainly the rummage sale might be more fun. Um, But I think the gospel is pretty clear about what we might need to be doing in that i think situation.
1: that's right <laughs> i think that's right so anyways this is what happens when you ask us to talk about a collect
0: yeah we now have been talking for 30 minutes
1: 30 back. minutes about a collect but leslie and chris are in but leslie still is like hey but why can't i we use to put disposable cups for communion wine
0: mm. kira
1: would you like to start
0: um have have you what has been your communion practice
1: oh i mean we don't we you mean when during pre 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 pandemic times or just in general
0: i, I guess i i mean using disposable cups for communion um so my
1: understanding is that the body, the blood of Christ is, is how we dispose of, like, yeah. we have to dispose of every aspect of the body and blood of Christ that is not consumed. We have to dispose right. of it respectfully. And so, so at, I mean, we, have these, we have these chalices that are rinsed out, but they're rinsed out with water that goes in a special sink and goes directly into the ground instead of through the plumbing as a sign of respect For the consecrated elements and our recognition that we believe that God's that the body and blood of Christ are present and active in the in the communion meal and the bread and the wine, so we don't throw we don't pour those things into disposable cups and throw them away because it shows disrespect to the actual blood of Christ.
0: Right. I mean, Um, theoretically, you could take the disposable cups, rinse them out in the same way that you would as a chalice, and and then dispose of them, and that would be yes i guess adequate um we are
1: gonna do if we were gonna have someone go and 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 carefully uh rinse out and respectfully rinse out 100 mm -hmm. to 200 where we would be at right now where you know we have two services so let's say we have 150 something like that on a sunday right now like Mm -hmm. like like rinse that out and then pour each one out and then make sure it's clean and then throw it in the trash i i think my altar guild would quit i (laughs)
0: think right at some becomes a um, a weighing of of goods. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and this is an area where our being uh, sticklers can really feel like, for some, like we are just majoring in the minors.
0: Right, and I think um, you know I, there was one question on the GOES several years ago about. Um, having a separate vacuum cleaner to to clean right. where you know perhaps Just in
1: case right
0: little atoms of wafer may have fallen. <laughs> and yeah. um right that feels to me like maybe a bit precious and a bit splitting right. hairs. Right. Um but I have also been in a situation where I have been consecrating bread that is particularly crumbly. And in my head, I'm just like, just don't think about it. Just don't think about it. Just, just don't think about all the little shreds of Jesus on the floor.
1: (laughs) I think, and this is a line. And so Leslie, on a practical level, this is a line that we as, as, and I'm going to call us this, I'm sorry. We as liturgical theologians, like these are the kinds of things that we are. Uh, By the way, I was in a vestry meeting last night and I found myself saying, I am a professional liturgist. Which I like, as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, oh man, like you, you suck. Like, I can't believe you said that, but it's like, sometimes I have to remind myself like, no, no, we, we have more training in this. I'm always a picture of those friends of ours that are super spiky high church that look at me. Like I'm like, like, like
0: slumming, (laughs) like
1: I'm someone who's unworthy to scrap up the the crumbs under the table, frankly, um, when they celebrate the, the mass as it were, um, but like but i realized when i like i've devoted my life to this work and liturgy is a big part of our of our shared life. Mm-hmm. and so there's this practical there's a there's this, this is the space where practical and spiritual meet. and 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 the sacraments by virtue of their definition of what they are and our and our priest melanie preached a just a dy- dynamo m- m- fantastic sermon about this past sunday like i'm not usually into sermons that are about churchy things like the sacrament, even though things need to be said, I sometimes shy away from them myself. Mm
0: -hmm. She
1: just preached a killer sermon on the, on the, on the need of the sacrament on the nourishment that we Mm -hmm. find there and what that, and the grace that's present in it. And, um, and it was so great. So anyways, we do this as liturgical theologians, we sit in that place where the practical and the spiritual meet, and we have to try to do our best to sort of like, as as Augustine said about the Council of Chalcedon, we do our best to to build a fence around a mystery. Mm. Like, by the way, and this is tricky because the building the fence isn't to keep people out, it's to try to create some basic definitions so that we can all kind of do the same thing and be on the same page so that we mean the same thing when when we speak. Like, that's what we're actually talking about, is some kind of uniformity uh, so that be, we can understand, like we all, when like words mean things, right. right? So if I say this is the body of Christ, this is the blood of Christ. First of all, do I mean it? Mm-hmm. For me, and I'm going to go ahead and guess for Kira, we mean it. We mean it. <laughs> and, and we believe Jesus meant it when he said it. So we are, we are part of a tradition that recognizes Christ's body and blood present in the communion meal we as our catechism shows we get a little squirrely about just how minute and how specific that presence is because people in the episcopal church are kind of all over the map on that Mm -hmm. but our customs uh, are fairly uh, are, are connected to those traditions like the catholic and the orthodox faiths that our customs dictate or show a certain amount of reverence for items once they've been consecrated. And it's our way of saying this now belongs to God in a way that or, or we've given this over to this specific purpose. And we want to be really clear and careful how we how we use it from here on out. And so yeah. the problem with disposable cups, from that perspective, is that it, you know, it's, there's a bunch of residue that we recognize as the as the blood of Christ. And I, and I get that sounds that that can just sound really lame of us, frankly, but we see Christ's presence in this wine and, and we don't just go. And so we want to, we, what's the most respectful thing we can do. And that's the, I think that's where we, it, I talked too much, Kira. You're Yeah.
0: No, I want to say a little bit about holiness, because again, that's one of those words that maybe Episcopalians don't really like. Which word? Because it does kind of convey Which this word is like it? perfect holiness. Ah, like holiness. yeah. And um, it does kind of convey this like perfection or whatever. But really, sure. we're just talking about something that is set apart for a particular yep. use. Um, and so in the church, we set apart like right we, we've set apart a whole building. We've set apart um, certain fabrics and linens that we yep. use. We set apart chalices and patents and we wear special clothes, you know the priests and the liturgical servers wear you know special clothes, to, to serve. And so there is, to me, that's one of the really important things about being a liturgical Christian-ish person is that there is something, um, you know, and I think this is why the, the right one language appeals to some people, because even today, because there is a kind of like holiness to it, not because it's formal or whatever, but not because it's better. Not because it's better, but because it's, we're because we're using a certain manner of speaking when we are worshiping. Yeah, and and even even with the right to, you know, we're not just like I think I I don't want to make fun of people who are genuinely prayerful, but the whole kind of like, well, Jesus, I just want to come to you today, and the just you know, G- I, the just prayer, just <laughs>
1: it's the just uh, which
0: is its own lit- liturgical language in a way. But,, uh, there is something about using particular phrases and language and clothing and um, instruments for the for the worship of God in in a holiness perspective., yeah. and then I also want to to again, like we kind of talked about last week, bring the sort of sacred into the secular. Yeah. And there, if we see I, I mean, ideally, when we see the things that we have set apart as whole as holy for the worship of God, we start to recognize that we're surrounded by holiness, yeah, and maybe that affects how we treat the things that we use and own in in our homes. You know, I mean, I think we live yes. in a society that is very accustomed to uh, designed obsolescence, and you know, you get a new iPhone every few years, and you get a new computer, and your car, you know, and so there's this churn of of constant newness, and in part because that's designed for things to go, you know, the way of the dodo bird more quickly yeah. than they should. Um, but uh, there is something to uh, to Marie Kondo, <laughs> yeah. and the way when when she is helping people to, to get rid of things, to thank them for their service.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And I think that is a way of acknowledging holiness. I don't know if she would describe it that way.
1: She wouldn't, but that's fine. But (laughs) Um, that's fine. That's right. That's correct.
0: But in my mind, that's a way of acknowledging something's holiness and its purpose and, um, And and thanking it for its service, you know. When I, I'm sorry, I talk about my dog all the time now, but yes. if my dog, yes, if my dog chews up a toy and the toy is beyond repair sure. or use, you know, I I don't want her to continue eating it and possibly yeah. choke on it. But I think it is instead of just like chucking it in the trash, even just to take that moment and be like, thank you for your service for entertaining you my dog for. Yeah.
1: Uh, you know. <laughs> um, I, I agree completely I,
0: so I, I think I agree there's this. a way that 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 setting things apart and recognizing their use as particular to a place and time and space um can also affect the way we interact with our world yeah particularly as we um Yeah, just in a world where so much is disposable, where, um, you know, I think about the clothes that I buy, that they are very inexpensive and not designed to last very long, and the kind of idea of fast fashion, and, um, so much of what we consume is disposable.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's sort of designed to be that way.
1: Yeah.
0: Um... And and to have something that isn't, mm. that's really, you know, and, and maybe, you know, it doesn't have to be a chalice or a patent or a vestment. It could be the really nice dining room table well, that- this, know, is, this
1: is the thing for me. And then I'm gonna, Leslie has some feedback and I wanna answer that directly or respond to that directly. But like, it's like the book of Leviticus, okay? Like, to me, there's two ways that people can really approach the book. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways, I suppose, but there's two big ways you can sort of look at Leviticus. One is, oh my gosh, there are rules for everything. What is wrong with these people? On the other hand, that what you have is nothing is is profane, everything is holy, or has the capacity to be an instrument of God's holiness, to the point that it even has descriptions for how to remove mold from your house and how to have the priest come and consecrate your house re re bless it so to speak after um after the mold's been cleaned up that's in leviticus which is like even the way that we clean physically clean and make our houses habitable is a holy act the way that we eat is a holy act and going back to you were like 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 i remember when i was a kid and they showed us a video of a of a japanese a uh, tea drinking ceremony mm-hmm And the thing that I remember thinking even then at like 13 was like, wow, the way you turn the cup matters, Mm -hmm. matters because it shows some kind of respect and care. And so is there, and so the idea that all aspects of our life have the capacity to be vehicles for God's care, for, for God's blessing, um, for God's holiness at all aspects of our life. There's not a, there's not a piece of it, uh, that, that, that is, that is, um, that, that is incapable of carrying God's, God's presence and grace in it. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm going to, we got to dig into Leslie's uh, feedback here. She says, pointedly, so it's more respectful to withhold the blood of Christ from the community during communion. Then she says, I'm confused as to why Jesus would care as much about a few drops per recyclable or reusable cup, as long as people are joining together in the feast. Like, yes, it's special wine blood, but is ceremony more important than community? So let me start with the first part. Um, and do you mind if I dig in a little bit here, Kira?
0: No, so I... I'm just, um, I'm a little bit curious as to the background of this. So is it my understanding ah. that you are not doing?
1: She. So we have, we have, we have this coming Sunday, we will actually be refraining from any kind of wine drinking. Okay. We had the common cup back. Mm-hmm. And um, some people were, many people were comfortable with that. Some people were uncomfortable with that. Um, people were obviously, and here's the thing you are, were able to partake or not, mm-hmm. uh, as, as actually is always the case. So here's, so, so Leslie says, so it's more respectful to withhold the blood of Christ from the community during communion. And my actual answer is sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. That actually sometimes it is more respectful both to God and to the people involved. Now, this is a tricky thing I'm doing. I'm not trying to dismiss your concerns. I want us to understand, first of all, well, a couple of big pieces. One is the way that we engage in communion is not something we came up with recently. It's been going on like this for literal thousands of years and is the earliest ritual in the life of the church. It doesn't mean it can never be changed. It doesn't mean there can never be any alterations. There are changes and alterations from the beginning of time. But, but, we want to be clear about like why these specific customs have come to be in this way. Okay. So like, like, like um, just making it more accessible is, is not always the right answer, believe it or not. And, and, and there's a couple examples of this. Um, We, we, and by the way, we have historical examples throughout the life of the church where people have refrained from taking the wine and not because of a punishment or because they were being like, like, withheld or excommunicated. Uh, for example, I know plenty of people who by virtue of their relationship to uh alcohol choose to refrain from drinking the wine. And I and for them and I know priests who are alcoholics who are in recovery who don't drink the wine themselves. But they are still participating in the communion feast. The very first time that I ever served as a chalicist it was at a wedding. And the groom was a recovering alcoholic. And I knew that, but I was so nervous and I didn't know his practice. So I was so nervous. So like when it came time, I like, like went to give it to him and he like put his hand on like kind of on my hand and then just held it there, but didn't push away, just held it there. And then I said, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. And he said, amen, and walked away. Didn't drink, like held the space and acknowledged what it was, and said amen to that truth. So, but we have said, and it's in our prayer book and it's in our language. We've used this for for months. We didn't have any communion at all, any communion at all, because we felt that it would be more, we were trying to follow these public health guidelines. Mm -hmm. Then when we brought communion back, we, we, we were only doing bread, which is what we're going to come back to. It is the historic position of the church that partaking of the bread is communion. It's not half communion. It's not pseudo communion, it's not partial communion. Participating in bre- in partaking of the bread is a participation in the eucharistic feast. So it's like taking one element or or and I have and I have friends that will drink the wine but not eat the bread. Right. If, I was going to
0: say if the one the one if they're celiac. people that I might, you know. Yeah, <laughs> even if they like we have low gluten wafers, but even yeah. those if you have serious, you know, yes. um issues with gluten are not Perfect. So right. I can imagine a practice a, where somebody yeah. only took the cup and not I have a friend who's a priest right. who
1: has celiac. And if they don't have a gluten-free wafer for him, he just drinks the wine. Now, of course we want to create opportunities for people. And if, and I would guess that if we found that, uh, for instance, that the common cup was, was, uh, was dangerous, uh, which actually we're finding more and more that that's not actually a location of Spread, But I understand why people are still very reticent to re-engage with that. Um, And we found ongoing that this was a way that things were going to be from now on. uh, For the rest of our lives, we'd probably start to come up with some some alternatives. But but the idea that if you don't partake in the wine, you're not part of the communion feast historically has not been viewed of as true. Historically, we have said you are part of this. Um, You are part of this if you're present for the prayer. You're part of this if you partake in the bread. You're part of this if you partake in the wine. You're part of this if you partake in both. And this is another big piece because there are churches and, and there's been like, like we could say, well, if we're really concerned about people being part of this thing, why aren't we just packaging up little wafers and little pet disposable uh, uh, wine things and dropping them off at every parishioner's door so they can have communion every Sunday, right? And the answer that we're not doing that, it's not because of like logistics, like, oh my gosh, that would just be a logistical nightmare. Although mm-hmm. I have some friends that think that's true. It's also because we don't want to detach the communion elements from the actual participation in the event of sharing the Eucharistic feast. Okay. So, so here's here, I'm going to do one last thing. I'm going to do one last thing and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to stop um, and give it to you. One of my favorite instances of um, one of my favorite instances of a miracle in our gospel narratives is the feeding of the, I'd say 10, 12,000. I don't know why they say five, because they say 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So they probably fed around 10 or 12,000 people, right? Um, uh, Jesus with five loaves and two fish. Cool. Um, What I love about that miracle is that like, when does the miracle happen? Like He blesses the bread and the wine. He gathers it all up together and it doesn't all of a sudden multiply. He blesses it and it doesn't all of a sudden multiply.
0: It's in the distribution. And
1: And it's in the overall, like the overall event is a miraculous event. But if you tried to pick the moment in which the miracle happened, it would be impossible to parse that out even in the distribution at what point is it in every time it's torn at what if if someone took the bread but not the fish if someone took the fish but not the bread are they like participants in that miraculous reality but the reality is we recognize the people are nourished by this event in a miraculous way and the whole thing is a miracle and i've come more and more to that place with the eucharist that the whole event is a miraculous space of god's grace And the reality is that at different times in different ways, different people are able or unable to engage with it in different ways. But the but the miracle of Christ's presence is there. And your participation in that and your nourishment by that is possible um, and real um, and and, and doesn't need to be like, I need to have it in this exact way or it doesn't count. That's a whole lot of fancy ways to say, I'm sorry, we're not having disposable cups. I mean, you know, like on some level, Leslie, like I'm right. still just disappointed on some level. I'm just disappointing, you and, and like, and, and being like, I hear your concerns and we're not going to do that. Like, like, that's the hardest yeah. part for me. Like that, that's the part I hate the most. Um, um, but, but I do think that it's sort of like, there are so many elements to this that are really big. So when you asked me that on that Sunday, like it was such a wonderful moment. Um, we're trained in seminary. Like, like people always say, like, they call them like coffee hour questions, which is like when yeah. someone comes up and asks you a question <laughs> during coffee hour, which is what you did. That is like, it's like a, it's a very simple, beautiful question, but it's huge <laughs> in its implications. So when you ask me this beautiful question, um, that was like born out of your own, like love and yearning, but also just a simple question that I, I should be able to be like, Hey, oh, yeah, let's try that. That would have been the, like, right? And instead I'm like, ah, let me launch into a 20 minute, you know, you know, uh, uh, monologue about, about the Eucharist. I mean, this is, this is the tricky part for us of, of being these people who are stewards over the, like the, the, that, that intersection between, between spiritual and, and uh, practical. And now I'll shut the heck up. Kira, I hand it over to you.
0: No, I think, I mean, our, um our practices, our beliefs, our relationship to the sacraments have really been challenged during this time. And, you know, I definitely know of clergy who have, I wouldn't say, well, they've they've chosen to go in more of the other direction of like offering it to people sort of maybe regardless of the theological implications of what that might mean in terms of you know maybe dropping it off at people's houses or having people kind of come pick up a wafer to do you know that's already been blessed but then to kind of participate in communion from home and um I have pretty strong opinions about that and it is not what I have chosen for my community but um I can see why and how and where people may have made other decisions. Yeah. Um, and again, bishops have made sort of other decisions about what is and yeah. is not permissible yeah. um, in terms of our flexibility with, with the distribution of the sacrament during a pandemic. So, um, yeah. you know, I think that's one of the real takeaways from this time has been, how do we, um, how do we engage with the sacrament? How do we understand people's (laughs) longing for the sacrament? And, and, um, you know, I think there is, there's a group of people, I've just seen all kinds of different reactions to things. And there are some people who um, will just kind of like take the sacrament, covid be damned uh
1: i mean i have i have friends and colleagues who are priests who have been very respectful and courteous to me but who are low-key horrified that i didn't give my community eucharist for over a year
0: yeah
1: that i didn't take it for over a year or celebrate the eucharist um most of my colleagues who feel that way would call it the mass Mm -hmm. uh but but that that idea that Um, and they've, like I said, no, one's been really rude to me of my friends. They've been very courteous and respectful. We've all tried to treat each other with respect because it's, these times have been impossible for us friends, right? Like to try to get it right. And, but I think you're right. It has revealed for a lot of us. It has revealed for a lot of us, um, um, what our theology is, or maybe what the theology of our space or the theology of our, of our congregations is,
0: I mean, yeah, I'll say that I was surprised. I mean, this was a surprising thing to me because so much around the church i've heard a longing for the sacrament and when we were kind of in the worst part of the or you know we were realizing that the pandemic was going to go on a little bit longer than we maybe thought it was right i offered um you know i said to people like i will bring you communion we can do you know like a eucharistic visitor situation outside um for anyone who's really longing for for the eucharist and i got zero takers Yeah. So that was not um, my congregation's relationship to the sacrament was maybe different from where from what I thought it was.
1: Right. Right. So I think mine was I think mine of our our congregations actually kind of evolved Mm -hmm. Um, because some people were like we'd really like there to be, you know, like how would communion work like when we weren't doing it, we were doing morning prayer. And right. then we moved to you, we moved to the, we moved to the liturgy of the word mm-hmm. after a period of time, because it was just more like the way people understood Sunday morning worship. Yes. And, and then, you know, I said, and they said, so, so I said, so here's mm-hmm. what would happen if we were to do Eucharist, you all, cause it was all at this point, it, we were at a point where this, it was all, all on online, right. Not live at all. It was just being, I mean, it was live streamed but no one was in the room except for the people who were participating in the service. um And so they're like well i said so here's what it would look like um i would pray the eucharistic prayer and then you would all watch me take communion and then that would be it yeah and they were like nope no yeah. thanks <laughs> next you're gonna try to get us to call you father I nope <laughs> a yeah. sidebar sidebar a friend a friend of uh, one of our associates her her dad came on into our bible study one time during the pandemic like he zoomed in and he, he was like and he's like said something like hey father and someone's like you can cut that out right now <laughs> It was awesome. I'm, I am a, I'm a little higher church in my head than, than this place. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we, fit, we fit, but only a tiny bit. We fit yeah. quite well together. Um, but the idea, but that it wasn't because they didn't care about Eucharist. It was because their understanding of Eucharist was a thing that we did when gathered together.
0: Yes. I refused to do any kind of celebration of the Eucharist without at least some people sitting in the church. Right. And that may have been- right three or yeah. five people who were not actively participating in the service um but i was i was like yeah. even as somebody who is pretty um high Especially. church yeah. i was like that just seems to me like a very bad wrong practice to yeah. do what is essentially a private mass um, i
1: i and that's the thing i i don't but but the friend you know as as one of my friends and colleagues says you're never alone when you take communion because you're with the with the, you know, with the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. True. I, I get that. I know it's true. And also, and also we're doing something a little different here.
0: Right. Um,
1: Chris points the out community. that he didn't realize how much, what's oh, that? Go ahead.
0: go ahead. I'm just, just okay. going to say the community is just so, the gathered community that we're praying this prayer together.
1: You mean the church militant?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's you know, I mean, even the people that did communion with their spouse or whatever, like that to me, that at least is a congregation,, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, um Chris says he didn't realize how much he missed it until it was available again. um I didn't i i mean I, I I would tell people I missed it um because i was I'm a priest, and I'm supposed to say that, but I don't always understand how, as a person, I'm not good at realizing how much I miss something until I see it again,,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right. So like I hadn't seen some of my family members. Um, like I hadn't seen my mother in line seen Krista's mom in like a year and a half. And I was like, I can just go and like, all right, well, that's you know, whatever it is, it is what it is. Like I I I went 26 years before ever meeting her. I'll be all right. Like it's fine. Yeah. And then like when we got back to California, like I was like walking into the house, I just started crying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I oh, okay. I guess I'm in love with these people and totally forgot, you know. Like, yeah. So yes, like I love <laughs> communion but taking it helps you realize how deep it is right? Home.
0: right i've heard that a lot from people yeah. especially as they as they re-enter the the worship space is like oh right this building this place where we gather and do these things and we sing and we pray and we right. eat together um this is a holy space and i have yes. missed being in a holy right space you that's, know and that's you, why you, pray. you can pray everywhere you can pray on your right. living room couch you can pray in your bedroom you can i had somebody attending online worship from their bathtub and like that's all legit but to be in a dedicated space is also um really spiritually important I I d-
1: like i dare anyone to go to the church of the holy sepulcher or whatever they want to call it. there's like it's have three different names for it but yeah but <laughs> the, the church in the middle of old town jerusalem where christ grave uh was and where people have been uh have been have been worshiping and pilgriming to for literal thousands of years i triple dog dare you to go in that space and tell me it's just a space i dare you it's just a bill it's just a building it, I, you're that's not right and <laughs> and and what i when i and and i would say the same here um uh like though not to the same degree because jesus wasn't this wasn't the spot of Jesus' grave here at this church, but um, mm-hmm. he wasn't died, dead and resurrected in Cincinnati, regardless of what the Mormons might say. Um, <laughs> cheap shot, cheap shot. But, um, but, the, but the amount of prayer that that space has contained
0: mm-hmm.
1: and singing and worship and care and love and baptism and marriage and, and burial that has been present in that space, that's a holy space. Yeah. So I, I, it's not the only holy space. You can't just find it in church, but my God, I'm not going to tell people it's not there because it's there. And there's a reason why we missed it. It's real. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, Phil, um, all right. You we got to stop are coming up on our time together today. And I wanted to know uh, what have you been listening to?
1: Well, my friend told me about this um, musician um, who's like a female uh, folk singer um, mm-hmm. named Maddie Diaz. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just this, this, uh, this up and comer. Um, but anyway, my friend Kira told me all about her and uh, this song, New Person, Old Place, I've probably listened to uh, 20, 25 times in the last week. So right. it's pretty fantastic. Uh, I re- highly recommend it. New Person, Old Place by Maddy Diaz, unquestionably. Um, but I've also spent, I listened to the new Guns N' Roses song this morning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's Hot Garbage, Don't Waste Your Time. <laughs> Um, and I just, please, I got in a crazy, uh, 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 beach boys, pet sounds, uh, like loop last week. And I just listened to pet sounds over and over again for like three days straight. Um, so even if you don't care about the beach boys, pet sounds is, has this little special place. And Mm. then, um, and then, um, uh, then, then uh, like I went on a little Nora Jones kick last night. No shame. I am who I am she's, she's glorious. And Jen, she covers a Tom Waits song. So then I like listen to the Tom Waits version of the same song. Um, so I'll stop there. What about you?
0: Yeah. Um, so I went on a little bit of a, a deep dive. I don't know if y'all are using track one or track two this, uh, during this season. Um, I think we're using track one. And so we had, uh, Absalom's death in this past and that sent, that sent me on a, a real deep um, classical music dive yep. because I was thinking about the first time I heard the story of Absalom was actually when I was learning a Ned Roram art song in college. And then I kind of went on a deep dive of some mm. Josquin motets and um, a lot of David's lamentation mm. over his sons that were composed in like the Renaissance era. Um, so that was my nerdy musical journey this past week
1: <laughs> so how familiar are you with um how familiar are you with shape note singing and and the sacred harp
0: um i you know i'm i am aware of it but somebody did say something about the absalom well, shape i'll note
1: send thing. it to you also yeah. it first of all i'm not sure there's a more heartbreaking moment in the old Testament, Mm. then like David realizing that his son is dead, like, oh, Absalom, my son, my son, like Mm -hmm. his son sucks. (laughs) Son is just a hot mess of a person who does nothing but like crap all over his dad's legacy and literally fights against him. And yet when he dies, David's heart is torn out. Yeah. And it's like, I just, David's heart is so, David is, a talk about hot messes. King yeah. David, king of the hot messes. But his heart is always on display in the most genuine way. And, oh, Absalom, my son is just one of those moments of, of heart, heartbreaking reality. Yeah. Um, so now you're going to get me going down that path, but I'm going to send you a, I'm going to send you a link to a version yes, of the sacred please heart. Please
0: do. Um, it's been great to be with you all this morning. And Are we going to actually talk
1: about vaccinations next week?
0: Do you, <laughs> we're going to just keep pushing it. Yeah.
1: Um, we need people to ask great. us questions. What questions do you have about vaccinations,
0: Right. And Leslie? Um, all right. Well, we will see you all next week. Again, right. we are, uh, are you there, God? It's Kira and Phil.
1: Bye, friends.